Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Colts Killers and Cocktails with Jen and Vanessa. Please be advised the following episode is for mature audiences only. We talk about content that may be triggering to some individuals and contain discussions regarding rape, murder, sex, suicide, religious organizations, and disturbing situations. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Colts, Killers, and Cocktails. I'm your host, Jen. And I am Vanessa. And welcome back for part two of Vanessa's story and another story by me. Part one of your story. That is right. Do you have Um, any updates this week? Since the last 20 seconds, since we stopped recording from last week's episode, no, I do not. This is how we be efficient, guys. We just have to sit down and like plow through five episodes at a time. That's okay. It's all good. It's It's, working. It's whatever works for us, for you. Plus, we're doing a St. Patrick's Day run this weekend, so... We are. We can't record this weekend, so... Quote, unquote, run. That's right. It's a beer run, so literally every kilometer you get a beer. So we're totally going to get a PR this time, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. Okay, so this week I'm going to be covering Love Has One. Have you ever heard of that? I have not heard of this one. Okay, all right. That doesn't sound like a cult. That sounds like a movie. Well, I'll let you be the judge of that. Okay, okay. So Love Is One was started by a lady named Amy Carlson. And Amy Carlson pretty much put her platform known as Love is One, on YouTube and on Facebook. She started it by calling herself Aurora from the First Contact Ground crew team. And she started this movement that blends Christianity, New Age spiritualism, Hindu, and a blend of a lot of other like religions. It started in Colorado, but now has groups also throughout the United States, Australia, South Africa, and Central America. Because this is Facebook, right? I mean, everything starts on Facebook. Right, right, right. You may have seen them on the news a couple of years ago because, well, actually a year ago, because in April, her body was found mummified in a sleeping bag and wrapped in Christmas lights, and she had glitter makeup all over her face. And seven of her followers were arrested in connection with it. Did you not see that on the news? I feel like I did see that. It was in Colorado. And you're wearing a Colorado sweatshirt right now. I am. I'm representing. From our trip to Colorado. It's because I knew that we were going to talk about this That's right. Yeah, it was Destin. It was Destin, yeah. (laughs) Um, So let's start at the beginning. Amy Carlson grew up in Texas, and she grew up in a middle-class family. And in 2012, she met a man online and left her family for him. That's always ends well. Already great morals. So we're, we're starting on a high note. She was a manager at McDonald's at the time. And this guy that she met and she instantly fell in love with, he called himself Father God. And he told Amy that she was Mother God and that when they were together, they talked about ascending. Um, They said that they were twin flames, which do you know what a twin flame is? No. So Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, they have the belief that they're twin flames. And pretty much it means that like you're someone's soulmate but when your souls were together they were split in half so you're part of like the same flame 
So if you were my twin flame, that means like we are literally soulmates and like our souls together, whole together. I thought you were going to say something about the blood exchange that they had. No, but that is really weird. So weird. I tried to research them the other day and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Why would you do that to yourself? Because I think it's, and I want to know why they do it. And there's literally like no reasons behind it. Because they can, basically. Yeah, it's, it's their whole thing. So anyways, this guy was her twin flame. Um, even though as the story progresses, we're going to see that she has multiple twin flames and that takes the whole meaning out of twin flame. Yeah. You can't have a twin flame and Johnny over there is your other twin flame and Ricky is your 17th one. You're not Harry Potter. You didn't split your soul. Like in (laughs) Horcruxes? Is that our (laughs) Horcruxes? These are are Horcruxes. You don't have seven souls. Okay. Like you can't do it. You only get one soulmate. All right. Oh man. So she moved to Crestone, Colorado with this man. And if you didn't know it, Crestone, Colorado is actually seen as one of the most spiritual places in America. Did you know that? No. Yeah. And the reason behind that is because a lot of people that are seeking like religion or spiritualism or anything like that, they go there. So this place in Colorado has more temples, spiritual centers than anywhere in the United States. And people also says it has a negative vibe. So we, we're probably going to cover this at some point. Um, some people say there's a portal to a dark dimension there as well. Will you please cover that? Yeah. So we'll put it on the list. So she claims to be over 19 billion years old. She's lived over 500 lives. And she's in, she's been in consistent conflict with the Cabal, which, if we remember last episode, is associated with QAnon. Good old QAnon. They never go away, do they? Yeah, but she describes this group as a group of minions of the reptilian people, which a lot of people think that there's reptilians that are living among us. We'll cover that someday. Um, And aliens that are tied to the Illuminati and make bad things happen. Her followers believe that she was Jesus Christ, Cleopatra, and Marilyn Monroe all in one. Wow, that's quite a combination. I mean, why would you pick one? Why not do all three? She apparently used to be the queen of this mythical city called Lemuria before it fell. So it was like one of the the Atlantis type situations where it just kind of fell off of the earth. And then Donald Trump was her father. I mean, QAnon, come on. I mean, that's literally. Okay. Yeah. Her goal was to lead 144,000 believers into the awakened 5D plane of existence. So what we live in is apparently a 3D world. And apparently there's a 5D world that we can all get to if we ascend to it. Is this through the portal? or This is just uh, by believing in her. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You got to get to her first. Okay, okay. And then all the other ones that are left behind in our world are going to be destroyed in our energy while we either cycled into the sun. Sounds legit. S- something for you to look forward to. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this 5D ascension, the, one of the key parts of it was the physical bodies would also go with you, like would go with them. So in a lot of other, you know, beliefs, they think that just your soul ascends, but she was saying, no, 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 it's actually your physical body. So you don't have to die. So sounds like a pretty good gig, right? You don't have to die or commit suicide or anything for this type of group. It was one of her beliefs that if Amy died, everyone on the planet would die. And the only reason is because Amy's body was acting as a filter to clear the world of negative energy. So she was actually doing us a solid just by living because she is clearing out all the negative energy in the world. People described her little commune because she had people that were living with her as a hippie commune focused on sex, drugs, and good times. I mean, that's what makes good times, right? (laughs) Right. What else could you ask for? Um, She said that she could communicate with angels, 
and was trying to start a great awakening, so of course needed followers. In 2018, Jason Castillo became her new twin flame and came into the picture and became the next father god. And that's when they changed the name from just uh, like her group to Love Has Won. So that's when they like coined the phrase, which actually became a nonprofit in 2019. How, how, how does that work? I'm going to have to look at nonprofit forms for the state of Colorado because uh, I have, I thought it would be a more strenuous process than by like, we all want to go to a 5D plane and we believe in love. Like, I just Colorado don't. Colorado says sold, nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, so these members would actually get on Facebook every single day and they would live stream videos, which is how they would recruit people. And they would also give updates on the fight against the cabal because you have to keep everyone informed of what Amy is doing, right? And they were, then they would start making predictions. And a lot of these predictions were seemed like they were taken from Revelation. Like in Revelation, they talk about the seven seals being broken. So they started alluding to stuff like that. In 2018, they gave a report on Amy. And they said that she was processing 99.3% of the world's negative energy. And at this point, she was bedridden and paralyzed from the waist down. That's very specific, 99.3%. You'd think that they would say 99.9. I mean, she has to be functioning somewhat, right? Can't be perfect. You're right. right. She started taking colloidal silver, which is a cure-all dietary supplement. And, I mean, it has silver in it, and it will literally turn your skin blue. So if you look at pictures of her towards the end of her life, her skin almost looks gray, bluish tint. Like, it looks like she put paint on her skin. It's because she was taking this supplement every single day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Their ideas were to bring an enlightenment to all living beings, um, but they also said that if you didn't stand with Mother God, you're either with her or you're out. So they were pretty direct. When asked during a live stream if they had, like, weapons with them, because, of course, everyone wants to know if a group has weapons, someone replied, we are supposed to say no. Also during broadcasts, they would express racist and homophobic beliefs. Gross. Yeah. A lot of members, once they joined, they were given new names to have new identities. Salida, for example, was someone that joined the group and was interested in QAnon and said that they first started being interested in QAnon and then they found love as one through QAnon. He um, started to spend more and more time online. Uh, He would sign up for personal energy sessions where they would remove negative energy and sickness from his body. And he would pay $88 per session. And he gave about 15 grand to this group. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. He would do things like stare into the sun because they told him to do that to get light codes in order to help the group. And that was like his mission. And then he left his family. Up and left. No like warning or anything like that. One day, the wife saw the husband on a live stream And then the next day, he was found in the wilderness, alone, naked, dehydrated, and his eyes were burned from staring at the sun. That's an awful way to go. (laughs) Well, he he still lived. He he lived? He lived, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And just a fun fact, that's 170 times that he did that uh, thing. That's Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's so much. You think, like, if it's not working by then, I'd be like, it's time to stop giving my money. Probably about by time five, I'd be like, all right, we need to put this to rest. Yeah. So, like, that's the type of things they would do to their followers. And a lot of family, because followers would go there and they'd cut off all communication, the only way they would make sure that their son, daughter, husband's okay is by watching these live streams. I can't even imagine going through that. 
So in August of 2020, they moved to Hawaii. While they were there, Amy also claimed to be the Hawaiian goddess of fire and volcanoes, which this was a huge problem for Hawaiians because they are very, very into their culture, their spirituality, like everything. Disrespect. It's, It's totally disrespectful. So they had a bunch of protesters that gathered around outside her home. The mayor got involved and was pretty much like, I can't offer you guys protection. You need to leave. Good for him. Yeah. So then um, she moved back to Colorado. Her like uh, health and everything just started to d- deteriorate more and more and more. In April 2021, she couldn't move. She would spend hours in the shower because that's the only thing that helped with her pain. And uh, at this point, they went to California. So she was asking for medical help because she was in a lot of pain. She didn't know what was going on. And her followers said no to her because they thought that the cabal would get to her if she went to a hospital. It would make her an easy target. Wow. Yeah. She passed away, and that's when they took her body back to Colorado, and then they started the shrine. Do do we know what she died of, or it was just because they never went to a hospital, Nope, right? and the, bobby, the, the body, the, the <laughs> body, <laughs> the body was mummified by the time they got to it, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just crazy. So let's talk about the abuse of love as one. Um, There is a website online right now that you could check out, actually. And it's called Rising Above Love Has Won. And it's an online group to help those that are still in the group because it's still active to this day. Castillo, her father god, has taken it over Uh, and is kind of running with it. uh, You're probably going to get a virus if you go to that website. Yeah. Um, So... There's a group for people to seek help. They will help you get out of it if you are in it. There's stories about different members on it. That's good. Yeah. Um, There's been videos posted online with Amy screaming at all the members. She was very, very abusive. For example, there was one time that she was live streaming and she wanted food. So she asked for um, someone to bring her food and she screamed at them because they brought her chicken parmesan. What does she want? (laughs) She's My just, God, I would be happy with chicken parm. I'd be like, hell yeah. Right. And um, yeah, so she was very controlling of her followers as well. So not only abusive, but also had to control every aspect of their life. She was a huge alcoholic. And they said that that was probably like one of the things that led to her death was just because she, her alcoholism was so bad. She probably had like liver failure or something. Yeah. The group would play play a game. The group would play a game called Find the Whore. And Okay. Yeah, this was a game they played by calling each other out in order to weed out negative energy. So if there was negative energy in the group, they would call everyone out for their transgressions and even transgressions in their past life because they believed in past lives. That's gross. Yep. And so it would make people very, very upset. Um, They were very popular in the way to get people to join their group by love bombing. So they would shower newcomers with love and attention in order to win them over. And then once they actually joined the group, let their family, cut everything off, then they would show their true colors and really start to abuse them. Ex-members said that their days were filled with housework. And then they had to do things like sports, hold hands, and house parties and live streaming. And they would sell things like essential oils and that colloidal silver that we were talking about earlier. And they would also sell these like energy sessions to remove negative energy. And they claimed to cure weakness and disease. So some people actually did seek their group out for treatment, like we talked about earlier. Wow. In April 2020, the FDA literally told them, you have to quit selling colloidal silver. There's literally a pandemic going on and you're trying to sell this shit online. Well, they were telling people it cured COVID. 
my God. I mean, if you remember back in 2020, yeah, everyone had a COVID cure. And uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, so it was just crazy. Love is One is offline as far as their website goes, but it's renamed to SD Full Disclosure. And if you go onto this website, there's still daily live streams. Um, Castillo, again, is the one that has taken up leadership. He was one of the seven, by the way, that was charged with, you know, having her body made into a shrine, pretty much. And so how is he still free? They just were arrested for a little bit because they, they didn't really do anything wrong. They were just tampering with the body. They didn't kill her. They didn't, you know. Isn't that like... It's just like abuse of like a a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Now we said that he's the new God and he's filled with Amy's energy. So it's still continuing. Different name, different leader. What did you say it was called? SD? SD, full disclosure. And that's love is one. So what sounds like something that's happy and peaceful. That was was happy and peaceful on the outside, but. That was not the romantic comedy I was expecting. No. Wow. You always talk about these cults that are so recent. This one I just found because I was looking up like recent ones in the news and like they found the mummified body. Uh And it was weird because they said that she ascended and like they believe for the ascension you bring your body. So they're like, she's going to come back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she ain't coming back. She did not come back. Not that blue skin. Nope. Baby, she's living in the ocean now or something. It's like a fish. Wow. Gosh, that was good. Yeah crazy but it was good all right you ready for this week's cocktail aka 20 minutes later cocktail i am all right so to fit in with the ed gein theme we are drinking a buttery nipple which i love it's it's on theme i don't think i've drank this much baileys like in one sitting though in forever yeah somehow we both picked drinks with baileys in them and i think it's because our brains are synced We're twin flames, that's why. We're twin flames. Oh, how (laughs) cute. No, but a buttery nipple, basically, guys, um, it's really usually served as a shot, but we kind of just, like, put some ice and made it into a drink. So it's about an ounce and a half of Bailey's, and then it's about a half ounce of um, butter scotch schnapps. So it's pretty tasty. It makes me feel like I'm 21 again. Yeah. I bet we'll feel like we're 21 tomorrow, too. Oh. With all this sugar. We're going to feel great. <laughs> no, we're going to feel like we're 30 tomorrow with all this sugar. <laughs> 8 a.m. is going to come quick. All right. Are you ready for part two? I'm so ready. Okay, so where'd we leave off? We left off with um, Ed Gein was in a... Rifle hardware store. I feel <laughs> like I'm in a game of Clue. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a hardware store with a rifle, and Bernice Warden was talking all this crap about a Chevy, and he was mad because... That's right. Never mother... talk about a man's car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where I left off is Ed was loading his rifle with a shell, probably about to shoot Bernice Warden, but I don't know. We'll find out. (laughs) So on this autumn Monday morning around 9 a.m., the loading truck from the Warden's hardware store was still in the parking lot. The gas station owner from across the street, who was a good business neighbor to the Warden's, thought it was odd that the mother-son duo wasn't unloading their merchandise yet. Weird, but he didn't want to pry. But later in the day, around 3 p.m., he decided to go over over to the warden shop for one reason or another, and he pulls on the door, but it's locked. Weird, but again, it's the first day of hunting season. Maybe they closed up shop early like everyone else. But he thought it was weird that the lights were left on. 
Like, you got to save money on that electricity. So a couple hours later, Frank, Bernice's son, pulls into the gas station after a long day of hunting. The owner comes up to him and says, Hey, man, weird question, but did your mom go hunting today? And Frank just stares at him and tilts his head a little bit and says, No, she's supposed to be running the shop. And the owner says, Yeah, that's what I would have thought too, but the doors were locked and the lights were on. So immediately, alarm bells are going off in his head. He runs over to the store and he unlocks it. And what he finds is horrifying. First, the cash register is missing. Second, in the middle of the shop, there is a huge brown slash red stain, which had a trail to the back door. He runs and opens the back door and sees that the store truck is gone. So he calls the sheriff. The sheriff arrives quick and he too is horrified by the scene. And he's checking out the scene and Frank is sitting there shaking his head, trying not to panic. But all of a sudden, he just kind of word vomits and he says, he's done something to her. And the sheriff says, who? Who's done something to her, Frank? Eddie Gein. He came in on Friday night wanting some antifreeze and we told him to come back on Monday. He's asked my mom on a date and even after she said no, he wouldn't leave the shop. So... Almost as soon as he finishes his sentence, they look down and they see a paper just laying on the ground. The sheriff picks it up. It's a written out receipt because, you know, 1950s. Right. The receipt is for antifreeze made out to Ed Gein. So a little earlier in the day, Ed's teen friend Bobby Hill comes over to his farmhouse and he runs up to Ed and Ed's washing himself off with a hose. And what do you think he's washing off of him? blood good guess good guess right answer right answer good answer good answer (laughs) bobby just stares at him and ed goes man bobby it was a great day of hunting today you're not even covered in blood i can't and bobby thinks oh yeah it is the first day of deer season he says ed can you run me into town real quick to pick up a new battery for my car and ed agrees so they go into town they get the battery and ed actually continues hanging out with his friend at Bobby's parents' grocery store. He sits down to have a cup of coffee. And again, this is a small town, so almost the whole town knows that something went down at the warden's shop. And Bobby says, Ed, let's drive into town and see what all the fuss is about. And Ed says, yeah, okay. He's not that smart. No. No, 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 no. All the marbles are not there. A couple of them rolled away. So they leave, and not even two minutes later, the Plainfield police bust down the doors of the little grocery store. And Bobby's mom jumps, and the police scream, where's Ed? And she's like, um, chill, he just left a few minutes ago, they may not have even left yet. So they got lucky, Ed was sitting in the truck outside. The officers tap on the window and say, hey, Eddie, buddy, you got a sec? And Ed's like, oh yeah, sure. So they take him to the back of the police car and they say, okay, how about you tell me your day from start to finish? So he does. And he tells the part where he was at the warden shop and how he left, but that's it. And then the cop is like, good, 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 good. Now tell it again. And he does again, but this time the stories weren't the same. Yep. So the officer says, Ed, man, you didn't tell me the same story again. I specifically want you to tell me, when you were at the warden's shop, when you claimed, what happened? And Ed responds, I was framed. 
And this raises eyebrows. And the cops say, what are you talking about? And Ed says, for Bernice's death. She's dead, isn't she? And the cops, who really don't know if she's dead or not yet, say, Ed, how do you know that she's dead? And Ed says, well, I just heard it from the town chatter. So they felt like this was enough to get a search warrant for the house. The newly appointed 32-year-old sheriff in office, which can you imagine, this is his first big case. I mean, I guess, yeah. You got to start somewhere, but man. So he goes over to Ed's house with a crew. He creaks open the front door, and it's not a great smell, almost unbearable, but he knows he's got to do what he's got to do. He turns on his flashlight because, again, no electricity, and he starts to slowly wander around the house. As he's walking, he feels something brush up against his back. He turns to look, and he screams at the top of his lungs. It was a human body hanging upside down with her head cut off. Bernice. She was cutted like a deer, and he said, My God, there she is. It's Bernice Warden. So... Not even seconds later, he runs outside and projectiles vomits in the yard. Which, dude, same. Yeah. Now, I know that we give a trigger warning at the beginning of this show, but this is going to be your extra trigger warning. So if you don't want to listen to gore or other super strange things involving human body parts and mutilation, you might want to skip ahead. So here we go. This is a summary of what they discovered in the search of Ed Gein's house on Saturday, November 16th to Sunday, November 17th, 1957. So they found a soup bowl made out of the top of a human skull. They found skulls used as decorations on bedposts. They found 11 skulls total. They found four chairs that had human skin replaced as the cushion. They found a human lampshade, a human bracelet, which I'm assuming that he just kind of like took the skin and like braided it, like one of those braided bracelets. Right. They found a human wastebasket, a human tom-tom, which is like, I think it's like one of those drums. Tom-tom. Yeah, I could see that. I think it's a drum. They found a human sheath of a hunting knife, so like the fancy part of the knife made of human skin. They found a human nipple belt. They found a shoebox filled with a collection of women's vaginas. There were nine vulvas altogether, and several of the vulvas were sprinkled with salt, I'm guessing as preservation. Yeah. They found a shoebox with four human noses. They found leggings made from actual human leg skin. Again, this is his first case. Yeah, I'm on Google Images right now, and it's not pretty. Get off Google I know. Images. God, what is wrong with you? I can't finish my drink. <laughs> I don't blame you, baby girl. They found a vest-like item that was made from the front of a woman. And on this vest, it still had her breasts on it. They found face masks, lots of face masks, that were made from human faces. One of the deputies found a brown paper bag. And it had a mask in it. When he pulled it out, he said, my God, it's Mary Hogan. 
And I'm not going to go into Bernice's autopsy too much. If you want to know the full details of it, again, I suggest reading the deviant book that I had mentioned earlier. The cause of death was a bullet wound under her left eye. There were a lot of holes where holes should not have been on her body. They determined that she was decapitated by a saw since the skin had jagged edges. They found... Uh, let me skip that part. So she was hanging upside down by her Achilles heels. Ooh. And, I mean, I guess if you want to look at it as a glass half pull, glass half full perspective, they did not find any signs of sexual assault and determined that all these injuries occurred after she died. Okay, good. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So at least she didn't endure too much pain, you know. But also... Um, found other parts of Bernice, besides obviously her body. Her heart was in a plastic bag in front of Ed's stove. Her intestines, which were still warm because it happened earlier in the day, were wrapped in newspaper and folded inside of a suit. They also found her head in the bedroom. And the head had two hooks on each side of her ears and a string in the middle. So essentially it was like a wall decoration to hang from the wall. Gotcha. Last but not least, they found Mother's room, and they described it as a shrine. The bed was made. There was a Bible on the nightstand. It was super dusty, but literally no one had been in there for literally probably a decade at this point. After the initial search of the house, officers go to the jail where Ed Gein was being held, and, you know, I'm not saying that this was the right thing to do, but after hours upon hours of searching this hell house, you know, the sheriff is pretty on edge. So as soon as he sees Ed, he barges into his cell and throws him up against a wall. And he does it again and again. And he's screaming at him, you better fucking confess. And Ed, being the shy little reserved person he is, this makes him close down. And so they interview him for 12 hours and he basically sits there and says nothing. And I just kind of want to note that he was not advised for an attorney at any time. Yeah, that doesn't surprise So that's not good. But, I mean, at the same time, his whole house was not good. So they lock him back up, and eventually after sitting in a cell for 30 straight hours looking at nothing but a wall, Ed is like, okay, I'll talk. So he sits down with the sheriff and the prosecutor. And they start off the interrogation, like any normal until interrogation okay ed tell us how it happened gein immediately says that he doesn't remember he was blacked out he said one minute he was standing in the shop getting his antifreeze filled and the next part he remembers is dragging out her body out the back door the officers said so is that what happened with every single one of these murders you did i was about to say that's a lot of blacking out Uh 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 i mean we black out sometimes but Ours is alcohol-induced. And basically they're saying, you're saying that you blacked out for every single one. And Ed cocks his head and is like, I never killed anyone. Which he had actually adamantly denied Mary Hogan at first. But then, like, they said, dude, we found her face literally in a brown paper bag. And he was like, well, I must have blacked out then, too. Right. I'm insane. Right, right, right. So basically they say, Ed, we found 11 skulls in your house. You want to riddle me how those skulls got there if this was your only murder? 
And Ed replies, yeah, that's an easy one. I got them from the graveyard. So Ed said that he had about 40 visits to multiple graves during the night beginning in 1947. He said that he would usually leave without digging anyone up, but on nine of those occasions, obviously he did, to the graves that he had messed with, though, don't worry, because he said he put all the pieces back in apple pie order, which basically means, like, I put them back fine, like, the hands where they're supposed to be. Yeah, no. These were all newly deceased women, middle age or older. And he found out about these women because of his favorite part of the newspaper. The obituaries. Mm-hmm. So he's spilling the beans, telling them everything. And when he's done, the officers are like, yeah, I'm calling bullshit. And let's talk about the reasons that they're calling bullshit. Because they're all legitimate. One, it's a lot of physical work to dig up a body. Ed was a small guy. These graves are several feet down. Yeah, I, yeah, that would take all night. Yeah. And we're not in shape. We couldn't dig out a body like that. I mean, Ed's a handyman, but he's not, like, fit, you know? So, two, a lot of coffins were made of steel back then and sealed shut. Three, for wood coffins, they were screwed shut. They would physically have to remove them at the site if they were screwed shut. Like, he would have to bust them open. Four, the ground was frozen half the time when Ed was claiming to be there. It's Wisconsin. It's winter. It gets cold. So that would be crazy to dig through. Five, the groundskeeper was like, dude, I was there every night. There's no way that he did that. And I didn't see a thing. Right. And see them. Yeah. Especially if he's hauling away full bodies. Right. Six, even if the groundskeeper wasn't there, there's no way that the family visiting these graves of their newly deceased relatives wouldn't notice that nothing happened to them. And seven, there's just not enough time. But. Ed is so good at telling his story that they actually start believing him. And I also want to note that Ed's house had a strong stench of formaldehyde, which is used like in the embalming process of bodies. So they're like, could it be? It would have that stench if he was grave robbing. These are all newly dead people. After the interrogation, Ed takes the prosecutor and the detective back to his farm to show them where apparently they, he buried Bernice's blood. Because he told that during the confession, apparently. But honestly, though, they wanted more. They wanted as much evidence as they could get to put him away for life. So right now, they're only going to charge him with armed robbery for stealing cash out of the cash register, which was $41, which is about $500 today. Yeah. His bail is set at $10,000, which is about $200,000 today. And then finally, Gein requested an attorney. The media got a whiff of this, and they were eating this up. They were constantly waiting outside of his house, and the officers were like, unless y'all want nightmares for the rest of your life, you don't want to go in there. So rumors started in the media that Ed was a cannibal. There, the, how, or the, the heart that was found in the plastic bag um, next to the stove, so they insinuated that he was going to saute it up and eat it. Right. And they said that there were blood-filled jars in his cellar and legs hanging up to cure in his kitchen. Basically, they had a field day with this. And Ed has always denied any kind of relationship to cannibalism. He also has denied any type of sexual relationships with the bodies because he said they smelled bad. I mean, yeah. He's not wrong. 
but all these bodies are just shown in his house. So you think he would get past that. Well, and other people have gotten past that as well exactly. in society. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But although he did admit to masturbating to them. So didn't touch them, but masturbated. But the media also started coming in hot with nicknames. The Butcher of Plainfield, the Death Farm. And the media is having a tizzy and police are deciding what to do, honestly, where to even begin. This is a hot mess. As I mentioned earlier, there were several children that had gone missing in the area over the years. And I don't know if this is a positive or a negative, but none of those disappearances were ever connected to Ed Gein. Okay, that's a positive for me. Yeah, I mean, they were still missing, but it wasn't Ed. So they had evidence of um, footprints at like the kidnapping site, and they did not match Ed. There were never any children's parts found on Gein's property, and they used dental records to confirm this. Good. So... That's out of the picture. They ruled him out on that, and they're deciding, like, maybe this guy really is the town weirdo, and he only did kill Bernice and Mary in blacked-out states. Maybe he really just needs help. But the prosecutor's not convinced, calling bullshit, saying this guy is cunning and he has a diabolical mind. So they decide to give him a lie detector test. And fun fact, lie detector tests weren't banned from the courtrooms until 1988. I did not know that. Did you? No, okay. I'm teaching you law today. <laughs> this was a combination of a lie detector test and an interrogation for nine hours. So nine hours. Nine That's hours. a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what like the average interrogation is? I have no idea. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Um, so basically, the question was, do you have any recollection of taking those female bodies body parts, the vagina specifically, and holding it over your penis to cover your penis. He says, I believe that's true. They say, you recall doing that with vaginas of the bodies of other women? He says, I believe I do remember that's right. They say, would you ever put a pair of women's panties over your body and then put the vaginas over your penis? He says, that could be. So he wasn't trying to, like, put the vagina on his penis to have sex with them. It was more about exploring the female's anatomy and trying to represent how it would feel. Instead of, you know, solely wearing women's clothes, he would wear their vaginas. And then he would put on those vests with the women's breasts still on them. So a next question was, how did you get the bodies out of the coffins? And he said, sometimes I would just open the coffin come home real quick, take what I wanted, and then put it back later that night. And other nights, he said that he just wanted, or he just visited the grave site, and then he ran home. He had no problem answering these questions. And he was almost like a young boy wanting to please his parents, like with these questions, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. So he clearly doesn't understand the severity of his crimes. There is a disconnect. Right. Fun little fact, he wanted apple pie with a slice of cheddar cheese over during the interrogation. That's disgusting. That's, But I kind of, I don't know, I kind of want to try it. Usually I get vanilla ice cream with it. That's what I always do. Yeah. Or cinnamon ice cream. Ooh, cinnamon, yummy. So the man who literally ate soup out of a human skull complained about the cheese being too dry on the pie. <laughs> so let's bring the media tizzy back into this people are being interviewed left and right of the town 
Quote, I never expected this from him, which is what the majority of the people would say about the town weirdo. And basically they're like, guys, we screwed up. All the signs were there. I mean, they didn't really know him. Nobody cared to know him. Right. But they all just assumed he was the weirdo. Another woman interviewed recalled her last interaction with Gein. She said Gein walked into her shop, and it was only the two of them. Ed went behind the counter, touched her hair, and said, you look like my mother. No, that's one thing you never want to hear from someone like that. No, I would never want to hear that from anyone. I mean, that is true, but... Right after saying that, she said some customers came in and Ed left in a hurry. This was one day before he murdered Bernice Warden. Yeah, she's lucky. Very lucky. So obviously she had like a meltdown after hearing about this whole thing. An article in the Milwaukee Journal read in all capital letters, Obsessive love for his mother drove Gein to rob graves, ghoulish acts that were stirred by her death. So they're eating this up and they're really focusing on the mother aspect and really relating the majority of the crimes to her. So I feel like it kind of like took place from the shrine, like the police discovering the shrine, because they released that to the media. And Ed would say, mother was pure goodness in later interviews. He saw her as perfect, domineering woman who could do no harm. Although she was strict, she was always there for him, no matter what mistake he had made. He even said that he would have hallucinations of her after her passing. He also claims that he tried to dig her up once, but then bailed about halfway through. Could you imagine if he digged her up, what he would have done with her body? No. Have you... I don't want to do any spoilers. Bates Motel? I've seen it, yeah. Okay. So they kind of like played off of that. So one of the earliest memories of Mother was at a grocery store that they owned before they moved to the farmhouse. Um, there was a wooden shack behind the shop that the boys were forbidden to go into. And one day, Curiosity killed the cat. The door was cracked and Ed went in. And there he saw a hog hanging upside down by chains in the ceiling. Blood was gushing everywhere as mother and father were slaughtering it. And guts were like scattered on the ground. And Ed was fascinated by it. So I think this is where like he got like his fantasy of hanging things upside down. and Right. So this is a quote from the officers. Quote, for Gein, cutting up women who reminded him of his mother and preserving parts of them satisfied two contradictory urges. One, to bring her back to life, and two, to destroy her as the source of his frustration. So it was kind of like, I hate you, I love you. Right. By this time, they had released to the press that the defense was going to go for the insanity plea. Several psychiatrists had already diagnosed him, and the main one was schizophrenia set up or I guess created by a conflict set up by his mother. Yeah. Makes sense. Before trial, Ed ended up getting sentenced to Central State Hospital, which was a mental institution. But they were missing something. A huge part in this case. The graves. Was Ed bullshitting or was he telling the truth? So there was only one way to find out. They got to go visit the graves. Ed did mention that during one of his interrogations that one of the skulls found in the house was of Eleanor Adams. Eleanor Adams was 52 years old at the time of her death on August 26, 1951. She was married for many years to her husband Floyd and had two children, George and Barbara, which is kind of ironic because his dad's name was George. And I'm not quite sure how Eleanor passed away, but it wasn't like murder or anything like that. 
Um, Ed claims that soon after she was buried, he stole her body and took her back to his house. He examined her all over with an oil lamp and said that he was fascinated by it and literally trembling with excitement. Yeah, I don't have any words for... Nope. So they're like, okay, we need to go to Eleanor's grave and exhume her. It's the only way to prove if he's lying or not. They go to the cemetery that Eleanor was buried at, and they got to work. And also keep in mind, the media was like Kim Kardashian status over this. So they knew that they were going to go to the grave site. So they actually had to go at a different time than they told the public because it was going to be such a media shit show. Makes sense, yeah. I would do the same thing. And they set up one of those like big, large canopy tents since there were literal helicopters over the grave while exhuming her. So nobody could take like aerial photographs or anything like that. They start digging, and once they're only about two feet down, they realize that they were already at the coffin. It was buried that shallow? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to think. So it's not several feet down that they thought. Yeah. And again, this is, you know, back in the day. So another thing against their theory, the coffin did not have screws or nails in it, nor anything like that. It was just a simple wooden coffin that was shut. So... They brush off the dirt, and all of a sudden, their hearts drop to the pit of their stomachs, and they get chills. The coffin had clearly been tampered with. They slowly creak it open, and it's empty, besides a crowbar. Ed Gein was telling the truth. So, just to 100% confirm, I literally got goosebumps when I read that. Just to 100% confirm, Ed actually gave insight on somebody else he had dug up, Mabel Everson who was 69 years old when she died on April 15, 1951, of a chronic illness. In her grave, they found a jaw, a section of her skull, part of her leg, and a gold wedding band. So he only took parts of her body? Mm-hmm. He, put, he took what he wanted, and then he left what he didn't want. That's so creepy. So he didn't do it for money because he left a gold wedding band. He was just fascinated by the body parts. So to dig up two graves, it took them two and a half hours. So this is another thing against their theory. They said, oh, it would take all night to dig up one grave. Gein had plenty of time, and clearly the night security watch sucked. Right. Like, homeboy needs fired. But the prosecutor said, I never want to dig up another grave in my life if I can help it. As far as I'm concerned, Ed Gein is telling the truth. So, fun fact, it cost $1,000 a day to exhume bodies back then which is about $9,400 today, which I had no idea was that expensive. I mean, I guess it I makes mean, sense. Because they probably used equipment, so uh, they probably had to yeah. rent the equipment and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after all this was discovered, they knew Gein was not normal. He received extensive physical and mental evaluation, again. So just a little physical on him. Ed Gein was 5 feet tall and 140 pounds. His IQ was 99, which put him just below average. He was 51 years old, and he still had that like little skin tag above his eyelid. It never went away. And Ed kind of started playing the blame game as his defense. He was saying, well, if my neighbors had been good or paid more attention to me, I wouldn't have done the things that I did. And they said he said that they owed him money for renting farmland, and they never paid him and took advantage of him. He also said that 
he was almost with a woman a few times. He said that he thought about marriage after mother died, if he could find the right girl, and he rejected one girl after he learned that he couldn't get along with her mother, and, quote, I couldn't straighten her out like that. And he also said, quote, As if a woman is good enough for intercourse, she's good enough for marriage. He was never married, so he was a virgin, which is very interesting. He had some physical complaints. He had a cough, sore throat, headaches, chest pains, but ultimately by several doctors, he was officially diagnosed with schizophrenic reaction of the chronic indifferent type because his world was so influenced by fantasy. He heard voices of mother. He was delusional by the bodies. He was very suggestible. And then the judge said, quote, this man, in opinion of this staff, is not competent to stand trial at this time. On December 19th, he was brought in front of the judge again, and he said, because of these findings, I must recommend his commitment to Central State Hospital as insane. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. And this kind of, you know, pissed off the community because they wanted him to go to prison for the things that he did. Right. And they were like, he was an oddball, but he wasn't crazy. I just don't understand people. And, like, back then, some of the hospitals, you know, these asylums were worse than prison, depending on where you went. Yeah, but people, I guess, didn't see that. Right. You know, they just saw it as a way out. So, but I totally agree with you. Like, they were awful back then. And then my next bullet point, I said, Susan, have you seen the soup head bowls? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Something's not right. No, 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 no. So, after this, I'd kind of disappeared from the public for years. Um, his room in Central State Hospital consisted of a cot, a dresser, and a bedside table. He got assigned minimal jobs, like mopping and stuff like that, and he would be paid 10 cents per day with a max of 60 cents per week. And even though he was in a mental institution, I mean, he still had property on the outside world. Basically how I understood it, the government took control of his property and possessions, and they were going to auction them off. And, again, we have our media vultures. So this was going to be insane. So many people were going to show up, and Ed Gein was basically a celebrity now in a bad way. The night before the auction, Ed Gein's farm burnt to the crisp. Good. Nothing Nobody should have that stuff. The cause of the fire still remains a mystery to this day, which my best guess is it was a pissed-off person that this was happening. Yeah. Which, good. So one thing, sadly, that did survive the blaze was Ed Gein's vehicle. And somebody bought it. They auctioned it off. And it would be taken around the country to be shown at county fairs, charging people admission to see it. Which, like, he didn't even really do that much with his vehicle, so. No. I mean, I guess he put the bodies in there, but. Yeah. Because, like, I understand, like, I want to go see Bundy's Volkswagen Bug. It's in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of the tourist trap things. But, like, I want to go see that, but he used the bug all the time. I I did not know that. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. So, after almost 15 years at Central State Hospital, on July 26, 1984, at 77 years old, Ed Gein died of respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer. He was buried next to his mother in the Plainfield Cemetery. Some say he always dreamed of getting back to her, and he finally did. His tombstone was actually stolen at one point, 
It was finally recovered, and it is being kept at the Plainfield Police Department, supposedly to this day. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I want to end this story on some geenisms. Okay. Do you know what geenisms are? Uh, stuff he said that's kind of stuck with our society or culture? Um, a little worse than that. Oh, no. <laughs> They're basically poems slash jokes about him. Okay, go for it. Weird, weird sayings. So weird that people would actually get kicked out of places for saying them because why are you saying this stuff? So, for example, people tried to order Gein burgers at local diners. And this is a diner, like, literally local in Plainfield. Yeah, that's gross. Where these people were taken and, you know, hung up in his house and stuff. So, this is one. There once was a man named Ed who wouldn't take a woman to bed. When he wanted to diddle, he cut out the middle and hung the rest in the shed. That is horrible. I'm telling you, these are bad. Here's another one. Why did they have to keep the heat on in Ed Gein's house? So the bodies wouldn't rot? So the furniture wouldn't get goosebumps. Mm, yep. It's so fucked up. Like, And then what did Ed Gein say to the sheriff that arrested him? I have no idea. Have a heart. <laughs> it's, they're just so dark humor. Right. And I will end it on a poem by the reworking of Clement Morse, um, A Visit from St. Nicholas. So this is basically Twas the Night Before Christmas. Okay, I'm going to try to read this and not mess up. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the shed, all the creatures were stirring, even old Ed. The bodies were hung from the rafters above, while Eddie was searching for another new love. He went to Watoma for a Plainfield deal, looking for love and a lass a meal. When what to his hungry eyes should appear but old Mary Hogan in her new red brazier. Her eyes how they twinkled, ever so gay, and her dimples, oh, how merry were they. Her cheeks were like roses when kissed by the sun, and she let out a scream at the sight of Ed's gun. Old Ed pulled the trigger and Mary fell dead. He took his old axe and cut off her head. Then he took his hacksaw and cut her in two, one half for hamburger, the other for stew. And laying a hand aside of her heel, up to the rafters went his next meal. He sprang to his truck, to the graveyard he flew. The hours were short, and much work must he do. He looked for the grave where the fattest one laid, and started in digging with his shovel and spade. He shoveled and shoveled and shoveled some more, till finally he reached the old coffin door. He took out a crowbar and pried open the box. He was not only clever, but sly as a fox. As he picked up the body and cut off her head, he, would, he could tell by the smell that the old girl was dead. He filled in the grave by the moonlight above, and once more old Ed had found a new love. He let out a yell as he drove out of sight. If I don't get caught, I'll be back tomorrow night. That's horrific. And whoever did that should have not done that. They have too much time in their hands and they need a hobby. But that is the story of Edward Theodore Gein, the psycho Norman Bates leatherface butcher of Plainfield. I love it. Great job. That one was awesome. Yeah. It, he's just a lot to digest. Yeah. And I mean, technically, he's not a serial killer. Sorry, not sorry. Right. Because you have to do three, right? Yeah. You have to 
It's the three. So he only did two, but... It's just crazy, like, I mean, because Texas Chainsaw is completely different, and it's based off of him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's insane. I mean, they really... They took a lot of liberties. They They do, and they really do exaggerate him because... From my perspective, he was just very fascinated with the bodies for some reason. He was very fascinated with the skin. Right. He should have just became a mortician. He really... Great idea. We could go back in time and tell him that. Right. <laughs> and tell his mother not to be such a bitch. Yeah. Tell just be nice to too. people. Just be nice. Raise your son like a normal person. Gosh, Well, that's crazy. Loved it, yeah. though. That yeah. was a great one. Good. I'm glad you liked it. And I think also we want to do a shout out to some of the people that have been listening. Yeah. So we've had several people kind of just tell us, like, I listen to your podcast all the time and it kind of warms our hearts and souls. So we just want to give a shout out to a few people in ABC order, no specific order. Andrew, Alana, Jewel, Cisco, Katie, Kenny, Lisa, Nash and Olivia. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you all. We love you. All right. And we will be back after our shamrock run. We will. To be continued. Bye.